This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Matt Splained. I'm Rich Bradbury. I am not the Matt Splainer. However, 2021, so good, they named it after the year that follows 2020. What does the year hold in store for us? Only good things if Matt Armitage is too believed. Matt, I know you too well. Good things, really? Am I a bit early with the uh, the bait and switch? Yeah, I think I might have come in a bit early with that. You know, if it doesn't sound upbeat, people aren't going to listen. But genuinely, I think there's more good news than bad news this week. So I know we're in this period of uncertainty. We have uh, coronavirus vaccines, but we also have new global strains that seem intent on beating us to those vaccination dates. There are renewed mm. lockdowns that are causing a lot of economic hardship for people. But I think the picture is a lot less gloomy than it appeared to be sort of six months ago. And we're also starting to see the introduction of technologies that have been building and developing over the past few years. In some cases, we might have seen those technologies come in a little bit earlier, had not the conditions of 2020 slowed things down. Um, shall we start with uh, work? Well, let's go with uh, retail first. I think uh, a lot of the show will probably be taken up just with work and retail, especially as we've just entered a, a new MCO in Malaysia where some retailers are allowed to open and others aren't. 2020 mm. showed the importance of every business having an e-commerce or a sales presence online. Interestingly, when I was doing some searches and looking at the intersection of the various trends that are being predicted for 2020, the top hits were mostly fashion related. Is that unusual? Well, no, it's not, uh, given the space that fashion occupies in terms of both business and defining cultural trends. It's more interesting in the context of what 2020 was. It was a year where largely people weren't buying clothes because they didn't have the need. Why refresh your wardrobe when the biggest social occasion of your day is going to be walking to the bathroom or, huh. you know, remembering to floss before that Zoom meeting? Or in my case, remembering that you didn't floss in the middle of that huh. Zoom meeting. But fashion, especially the larger companies, the chains, they're always working ahead, quite a long way ahead. Collections have to be designed, they have to be costed, manufactured, distributed. So there was perhaps a mismatch between the lines that stores were stocking and the needs of customers in the dress home at new normal that was 2020. So, you know, the collections and the clothes that we saw on the racks last year were more the kind of logical extension of 2019 than they were a representation of where society actually was. And so now we're starting to see designs that reflect where society actually is. Well, there is an element of that. You know, just the fact that fashion writing and predictions are still dominating the trend lists is a positive sign in itself. It indicates that sense of hope, that sense of re-emergence. That's why I said today that this is mostly going to be positive stories. I'm not so much interested in what those fashion trends are going to be. 
obviously this is a, a tech and science show for the most part and nobody in their right mind is going to take fashion tips from me. Uh, I'm interested more in the level of confidence it demonstrates uh, in the thinking uh, about ideas, about creating ideas for what the world of 2021 will look like. That's the important point. There was a sense that in 2020, everything was on hold. What I think we're seeing coming through in all of the emerging trends that we're talking about today is that even if this year turns out to be more 2020 than 2019 in spirit, then at least we have this battery of new tools and technologies to make navigating it and experiencing it a lot easier. How does that extend or, or help retail stores that are facing being closed down for the second or, or even third time in 12 months? Yeah, I mean, I hear you. Uh, I mentioned last year uh, that uh, I thought the pandemic would accelerate trends that we were already seeing that are moving away from uh, physical re retail stores. So we're moving away from uh, physical retail to, towards digital. I think we talked about the example of mall redevelopments in the US that mm. are moving away from being anchored around retail and towards entertainment and dining because our shopping habits were increasingly moving in that direction long before the pandemic. So those social spaces built around retail have been in this process of reinvention for the past few years already. What we saw last year was the acceleration of that trend. What I think we're going to see this year is a solidification of e-commerce and a more sophisticated experience on the shopping platforms and sites we use. And that sophistication is going to bring back mirrors, in some case literal mirrors, of the experience of being in a physical store. You mean like uh, things like virtual glasses, uh, augmented reality, changing rooms, stuff like that? Well, that's one aspect. The latest Apple phones and tablets are geared towards this uh, augmented reality revolution. They're equipped with uh, LiDAR, depth sensing sensors. And that places you much more accurately within an AR environment or experience. So that in turn opens up the experience of, say, trying on an outfit or checking how a sofa would look in the living room. So let's park the data and privacy issues. We may also see sites asking you to upload your face and your body to their sites in order to make use of these new AR layers. So a, a little bit like Amazon's uh, Halo wearable. Yeah, the new Amazon Fitness Tracker uses your phone to take a series of body scan images to track your fitness and uh, BMI and the progress or lack of progress that you make. And that's what I mean. Some trend ideas, they might sound outlandish, but the tech is actually already here. So we may very quickly get to the point where the model wearing the clothes on a, a fashion app may actually be you. It may be your own virtual image. Because it's great to see how clothes look on somebody who's incredibly tall and very thin. But for me, certainly, it would be more representative of what I look when I'm wearing those clothes if you screwed them into a ball and then draped them over a potato. You know, retailers <laughs> would have to put it to the test. Um, but I imagine that technologies like this could lead to reductions in the number of uh, items that are returned by people who buy clothes 
that don't fit well or think they suit them. Mm. Um, it feels almost like you're speaking from personal experience, Matt. Well, I'm not going to comment there, but I do hate it when you buy something in a medium size from a US site and the item you get could comfortably fit a well-fed family of four. You know, only in the US <laughs> am I considered to be an extra small. Uh, another trend I think we're going to see is more seamless interaction with those retailers while we're browsing. So we've... We already see that on a smaller scale. So the chatbot that pings you on a site after a few minutes to see if you need any extra help. I think we'll see that kind of interactivity increasing in both quantity and quality, perhaps even adding in, uh, you know, voice assisted cues as well. So in the same way that you might turn to an assistant in a physical store and ask about sizing and color choices and availability, you'll be able to do the same with virtual assistants but not in that stilted, you send a message, you wait two minutes for a reply, you know, so turning what would be a 60 second conversation in a store into something that turns into this, you know, 10 minute interminable interaction online. Are they likely to be uh, human or AI assistants? Uh, Wouldn't the the cost of so many on-call human staff be, you know, prohibitive? Well, you can look at this in a few ways. So if we stick with clothing as the example, uh, a big clothing chain might have dozens or even hundreds of stores in any one country. Moving the majority of those physical stores online will potentially save huge sums in rental, overheads, shipping, resupply costs, all of those uh, third party costs. It centralizes those operations. So those companies can staff according to the online demand when it comes to having online assistance without necessarily increasing their overall cost. There may even be uh, the ability to offshore some of those uh, virtual assistants to lower cost call center locations or countries. Mm. But I think we'll see a more seamless blending of AI and human assistance. We've brought this up on previous shows. You know, it's getting harder to tell when you're talking to a chatbot or a human operative. And companies are going to be able to make good use of that flexibility, employing the AI for routine inquiries and seamlessly passing you to a human operator for the more complex queries. Um, There will still be a need for physical stores to an extent, though. Do you think we'll see an expansion of um, unstaffed stores? Well, we've already seen one or two automated, unstaffed convenience stores popping up in uh, Malaysia. Uh, A company in Sweden called Lives is bringing plug-and-play supermarkets into low-density rural districts. They're housed in adapted shipping containers, so they can literally just be dropped in. There's no enormous uh, setup costs. And of course, if those units prove to be not very popular or economically viable, they can just be put back onto the uh, back of a lorry by a crane and drop down in a new location, again at minimal cost. Mm. And a small team of restockers can then service a group of these stores. So they have the potential to bring more choice and convenience to areas that may be poorly served or underserved in terms of supermarkets and fresh food. And of course, these stores can be open 24-7. So that makes them much more reflective Uh, of the kind of jobs and working practices that we have. And also, in these times, that wanting to go out and shop when there aren't so many people around. All right. So that then brings us to the issue of payment. Um, 
does it mean we, we'd need to download an app for every store? Do stores have to accept that there'll be more stealing uh, because there's less supervision? Well, again, there's lots of ways to limit those scenarios. Uh, Amazon's Go convenience stores in the US don't have tills or checkouts at all. Cameras track you and they just charge you for the items that you take once you leave the store. Uh, in Amazon's case, I think it links to your Amazon account. So that side of it would depend on how the payment systems within those locations are set up. And those same tracking methods can be used to limit or prevent theft and fraud. All right, um, we'll just take a short break. When we come back, we'll be following the money. You are, of course, listening to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Blockbusters for me. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. You are tuned into Matt Splained. And before the break, we were talking about unstaffed automated shops. And we dropped on the thorny topic of paying for things. Um, Matt, do, do you think physical money is on its way out it's interesting you know i'm not going to go into this scene too much teacher detail because it's actually a topic that i covered with you guys on uh, i think biz bites last week was it biz bites yes yes oh, it okay. was oh, okay um we have this huge explosion of e-wallet technologies you know there's so much competition i think my favorite thai restaurant chain has its own e-wallet services you know you can essentially pre-buy your food should you want to. One of the questions you asked was uh, just before the break, are we prepared to have an app and payment system for every store we use? Mm. Well, it's already a bit of a nightmare to figure out what app you need just to pay for on-street parking in some towns and cities. So we definitely need to get some kind of convergence in that sphere. But in most cases, physical money is only a representation of wealth. It's a promise, usually backed by a central bank, that equivalent funds will be paid to the bearer. In the old days, that used to be gold. Um, but anyway, this show isn't the place for, you know, the complexities of what money is and isn't. So digital currencies are no less real than uh, physical money. They're exactly the same. They might not feel the same, but that's because we have the habit of physical money. Physical money only has value because we believe it has value. So these technologies are part of a, a bigger movement in contactless technologies that we're going to see throughout this year. How long it's going to be before we're comfortable having uh, physical contact with strangers is anyone's guess. So contactless transactions are just part of this trend. We mentioned Amazon Go before the break. That's one option. Mm. Uh, you could also scan a QR code, for example, as you enter a store, which pre-authorizes your payment system. You take what you want. And again, it could be cameras or RFID wedded to AI and your build on leaving. Yeah. And there's a great deal of trust going on there um, that we can trust all these competing companies with our payment information. Well, yeah, I mean, this is deviating from the touchless topic for a second, but you're right, very much so. A lot of the systems we use at the moment, from track and trace to payment, 
rely on trust. So mm. I think we'll also see a move this year towards verification systems in a lot of these situations. Uh, I think that was something I read on uh, Gartner or from Deloitte. But again, this is an area where the AI comes into play. But it's the idea that additional layers of encryption secure those transactions and that those handshakes are a lot more transparent. Some might even be secured with uh, biometrics. You know, we all get annoyed at code generation, uh, code generators and multi-step authorizations. But as the automation of retail becomes more common, it's going to be essential for both retailers and consumers to have those verification steps in place. Interesting. Um, what do you think of some of the other contactless systems you think we'll start to see more of or, or even start to see in 2020, uh, 2021 rather? Well, when you think back to 2019, which, you know, seems like the long forgotten past, uh, a lot yeah. of the things we interacted with in public relied on touch from lift doors to information screens. Now, touch interfaces are a lot less desirable post 2020. So I think we'll see a lot more sensor operated systems in public. That might mean virtual keypads at doors or lifts. Uh, I think we talked last year about a system for ultrasonic keypads, for mm. example, uh, where a cushion of air and a projection gives you the tactile feel of buttons. But the biggest change will be voice control. We saw massive progress in natural language processing last year. And of course, listeners heard the Matbot Infinity and the Bradpool Pro on an episode mm. of this show in December. So voice, as I keep saying, is our most effective and efficient communication tool. So we can expect the world to listen and talk to us more, I think, in 2021. Uh, you also mentioned that remote working tech uh, would get a boost in 2021. Well, I think to some extent, 2020 was about figuring out how on earth we were going to, to do this, how we were going to work remotely. So we had to base our practices around what the existing tools could do. With many companies looking at flexible working being a part of their long term planning, we're moving from what the tools do to what we need the tools to do. Mm. Uh, I complained about the proliferation of video meeting services on last week's show uh, as one example. So I think we'll see a lot more tailored and specific work from home tech this year. Now, that could be something as simple as a dual line package for your internet connection, uh, one that you have for your domestic use, but uh, another line with extra security for your working package that might cut certain sites or ports off. So you mentioned to me that you anchored Enterprise for the first time remotely last week and internet dropouts were your mm. biggest fear. So mm. we'll see technologies like these. It could also be uh, the establishment of neighbourhood co-working spaces so that people working remotely do still get some of that social element. Uh, I think there was uh, comments from uh, Unilever this week in the UK where they said that uh, they were going to be mixing remote working and in-office working over the long term, but they were also putting in place uh, these kind of uh, social layers so that their employees didn't get that feeling of loneliness and being shut off. Uh, mm. Even in terms of things like home furnishings, I think we're going to see manufacturers offering a lot more multi-use furniture as the nature of uh, the domestic spaces change. 
And I think in terms of business automation services, we're going to see a lot more flexibility as well so that firms can build these services around specific use cases. As I said, you know, last year, the focus was just about getting everything online, getting everything reasonably secure. In the long term, in the same way that big companies have always built bespoke software for their own needs, these remote working tools will start to meet the specific needs of individual businesses as well. Does that mean then that uh, business architecture will get a revamp too? Very much so. We talked about the ancient underpinnings of our digital work in MSP 147, I think. So uh, we were saying that huge parts of the internet's infrastructure are built on programming languages that are at least 50 years old. So that the shiny apps that we use are just the latest topping on a massive layer cake of uh, code from different periods of time. So this will be one of the areas that is probably least visible to us, but arguably one of the most important. Tackling the decaying roots of those systems, whether in individual companies or those shared digital utilities that we all use, Because when we talk about the security of those payment verification systems and the security of our our private data, you know, forget backdoors. There's no point reinforcing the walls and the ceiling if someone can just come up through the floor. Right. Uh, We've covered the future working uh, scenarios on Matt's Blaine and and other shows. Um, So what else do you think we'll see more of this year? Uh, Although I think we will come back to uh, elements like the four-day week and universal basic income schemes later on this year, um, we can move on. Uh, I I read one piece on BBC, I think, that suggested we would start to see more automated cars on the roads this year, those self-driving cars. Now, Uber sold off its uh, own uh, self-driving car division at the end of last year to a company backed by Amazon. That was more big news that COVID and the Trump-Biden palaver relegated to the back pages. Google's Waymo One passenger service started operating uh, with 300 cars in Phoenix, Arizona, back in October last year. And there are plans to uh, expand the scheme uh, to other cities throughout 2021. Cruise, Mm. which is a scheme owned by General Motors, is going to start its own pilot in San Francisco this year. And Uber's rival Lyft, is also testing cars in San Francisco. Is any of that related to the pandemic? Not directly. I mean, the tech has been slowly pushing towards this point since about 2011, perhaps even longer. Self-driving cars have not progressed as quickly as we originally hoped. And even now, we're certainly a long way from them being commonplace, let alone Mm. that ubiquity that sci-fi movies have suggested. But the societal changes that the coronavirus has ushered in may be creating better market opportunities for these companies. For starters, no driver means less risk of infection for both the driver who isn't there and the passengers who are. But there may also be an indirect benefit arising from all those work from home employees in the shape of less traffic on the streets, which will probably suit these test schemes uh, a lot more closely because there'll be enough traffic to interact with and for the underlying AI to to learn and adapt, but not so much traffic that it's overwhelmed right from the start. So the bigger Mm. question is when we'll see more of this self-driving traffic outside the US. Uh, China has various homegrown systems that it's trialing, 
and Singapore has shown that it's open to the testing of drones and various other remote vehicle technologies. Something we've not really spoke about, are we we going to be talking about privacy and uh, big tech antitrust at all this week? Again, that's going to be a massive trend for this year, but it's too big a subject for a roundup like this. So I think we'll have to come back to that in a week or two. Uh, And also, it would be good to get Joe Biden sworn in and see who his appointees are and who the Senate approves for his administration, because that will shape, I think, some of the predictions of what we might see this year at this kind of federal and international level when we talk about antitrust. Uh, And of course, we don't need to talk about uh, another big trend, plant and lab-based meat alternatives, because we covered that as well a couple of weeks ago. So does that bring us back to gaming? Yeah, I think we're certainly going to see games becoming more of a social hub or recognised as more of a social hub in 2021. And I think this is something that certainly Gen Xers like me and probably a lot of millennials overlook as well that games are the social networks of tomorrow, especially in terms of the open world games. You know, let's not forget that most of the consoles have messaging, live video and chat services baked in on top Mm. of this ability to live stream from a lot of the consoles and the platforms as well. So you have the social component of meeting up with friends to complete whatever mission or task you're in the middle of. But There's also a lot of off-mission spaces, so we're increasingly seeing these open-world games becoming their own entertainment spaces. You mean in terms of things like virtual concerts? Well, that's one aspect. So physical concerts are not really possible in most places right now, but 12.3 million people live-streamed Travis Scott's Fortnite concert back in April last year. Uh, To put that into some kind of context, Rod Stewart and Jean-Michel Jarre share the record for the largest real-world physical concert attendance uh, at three and a half million, and both of those records were set in the 1990s. So you can see there's an enormous gap uh, between the, the, the possibilities of these two spaces. So you can also see this massive generational shift at work. I think Mm. 2021 will be that dawning reality that Facebook and Twitter, for all of the media attention they're getting right now, for all of the attention of uh, lawmakers, they're actually the social media spaces of yesterday. Games are the places to hang out, there's spaces to play, there's places to chill, to chat, and increasingly to spend money. Mm. They are the virtual malls of tomorrow. Uh, You know, services like Netflix have tried really hard to incorporate a a social layer into their their apps and their services. But I think what we're going to see is going to be the opposite of this. Games platforms and environments already have all of those elements built in down to the live streaming component. So we may, may well see them becoming the location of choice, even for things like movie releases. So it could be that you and your friends live stream the latest Star Wars release together while you're actually inside the soon-to-be-released Star Wars open-world game. Thank you very much, Matt. You have, of course, been listening to Matt Splaint here on BFM 89.9. My name is Rich Bradbury. You can find Matt on Instagram. He's at CulturePop and at CultureMatt. You can also head over to CulturePop.com where he's got transcripts of these shows, articles he's written, and, of course, information on the business and consulting side of what Culture Pop 
does. If you missed any part of this show, don't forget you can download the podcast a little bit later on. I recommend doing it via the BFM app, which is available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. This is BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.